0: the preaching of God's word is in Luke chapter 22 and there verses 19 and 20 Luke 22:19 and 20 where we have Luke's record of the Lord instituting the Lord's supper here then the word of God Luke 22:19 and 20 speaking of Christ we read and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. These two verses are Luke's account of this blessed institution, the Lord's Supper. And we can step back for a moment from the Lord's Supper and think with what wonder we have before us the record in God's Word of His love to us, that the Word of God holds forth not some general care, which is common to all men, as He gives to all men life and food and drink and causes in this world temporally of smiles and laughter, but particularly unto His own people, He has given the gospel And though he withhold many things from his own people, yet in giving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given the richest and the most enriching of gifts that can be given. Child of God, whatever your circumstances this day, here is something to meditate much upon. The Lord has afforded unto you the richest treasure ever to be understood that though we have it before so regularly in the reading of His Word, the preaching of the same, and it becomes something a bit dulled. We ought to see it's not it being dulled, but our own understanding of it. And that when heaven comes for the believer, there will be such an opening of us Oh, the riches that are ours in Christ. And that God would open our eyes somewhat this morning to see those riches would be a great blessing to each one, even in the heaviest of trials. The greatness of God's love is indeed immeasurable. And yet, as you and I know by experience, the weakness of our faith is overwhelmingly real again and again. How many of us have had elations of joy, not just the passing temporal things, though that happens to us as well, but we're reading God's Word, we're communing with God in prayer, we come to church, we hear God's Word opened, and our souls become lifted up, only to find how quickly some temptation or trial or circumstance adverse to us comes, and we become, as it were, lurking again in the shadows of inconsolable grief. The weakness of our faith is real. And so before you is an insight regarding the understanding, the compassion, the love, and the mercy of Christ. That Christ doesn't merely come to us and say, O ye of little faith. But he comes to us with that word on many occasions, doubtlessly. And he comes stooping unto us to say, I want you to see what care I have for you, that I should leave unto you a testimony a sign and a display of my unending love to you. What do we have? We have the Lord's Supper. The night that Jesus was betrayed, you'll notice the test temp- observed the Passover, and distinct from the Passover, he now institutes a new meal, not sacrificial, sacramental. And so, whereas the Passover was a sacrament, a lamb was taken, slain, blood was applied, the meat was eaten. The Lord's Supper is without the shedding of blood, and yet it's testifying of the shedding of blood. It's without something dying, and yet it's testifying of someone dying. And so you'll notice the text. It's Christ who stands as overall. He takes bread, He gives thanks, and He breaks it. So there are actions that are recorded. But notice, it doesn't stop there. He then gives unto his disciples with this word accompanying. This, that is this bread, is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In other words, he's saying this isn't a one-time thing. This is to be done again. This feast, spiritually considered, is to be observed again to do this after I depart. You're to do this uh, ongoingly, even as we read in 1 Corinthians that we do, by the Lord's Supper, proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ till when? Till He come. So it's a feast that's to be observed throughout all ages of the church until the coming of Christ Jesus. Notice it's bread, and also it's a cup, which would have been filled with wine. And he takes the cup, and he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And so he takes bread, and he breaks it, having blessed and given thanks, and he says, this is my body broken for you. He then gives it to them to eat. He takes the cup, and he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, And he gives it to them to drink. Now, brethren, we have before us common elements, bread and wine. We have actions that are uh, performed by Christ. And then we have the recipients of those actions. The disciples take it, as elsewhere clearly uh, recorded. They eat the bread. They take the cup. Drink the cup. And yet notice that it's not a common meal. It's not something that's just sort of another passing meal in their observation. It is a spiritually intense remembrance of Christ. So there's all this debate about the Lord's Supper and frequency, which isn't altogether unneeded. There's need to consider that. But it misses a fundamental point of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is primarily about an intense focus upon the person and work of Christ, That's the key. That's what Christ is getting at. He's saying, I want you to see such a link between this bread that when it's performed in accordance to my word and it's broken and it's given to you, you have such an intimate remembrance of my body broken for you. And I want you, every time the cup is taken in accordance to this institution, that you have such an overwhelming remembrance of the blood which I shed, not generally, not in some abstract fashion, but the blood which I've shed for you. Now, notice before we go further, that he says of the cup, it is the New Testament in my blood. An expression which is rich in biblical background. Of course, you know of the New Covenant mentioned in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and elsewhere. And it's testifying of all of those stored up blessings which are there held above us until something happens for that inheritance to be given unto us. Sometimes you'll see we are passing by not long ago and there is this booth at some grand opening of a business and it had dollar signs on it. And someone steps into the booth, they turn on a fan and money starts going throughout and the idea is to grab these dollar bills and so on. And men and women and children lining up to go in that to grab what might amount to $20 at most. But oh, the smiles on their faces, the enthusiasm of them as they thought I'm going to grab something that I want. Well, It's not until the fan turns on and the money starts blowing that they have, as it were, a chance to grab those things. Now, this is foolish. It's vain. It's empty. It's nonsense. But here in the New Testament are the everlasting riches of forgiveness, of life everlasting, of of fellowship with God, and it's held up, the indwelling of the Spirit held up, and it requires, as it were, the severing of that which keeps it back so that the inheritance in its fullness would flow unto us. And what is the severing? Well, it is the confirming blood of Christ. It's the inheritance that God has promised that is to be then handed over to us by the death of His Son. Just as an inheritance is reserved until the death of the One who has stored it up, so the heavenly inheritance is stored up for us until the death of the One who has so made the promise. And this is the significance. Christ is saying all of those blessings are now handed over to you in all of their fullness. And we say, by what cause? What's opened them to us? And He says, by My body being broken and by My blood being shed for you. Here is a meal that fixes our attention upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings that come to us by Him. Now, there's much that we could take up, but we wish to focus particularly on these signs that Christ presents to our attention. The broken bread signifying His body, and the cup of wine signifying the New Testament in His blood, which is shed for us. And we see that Christ has appointed these to represent to us his death and the blessings of the new covenant to be enjoyed by faith. If you go through the literature in our catechism and confession, you'll see much thought given to what is known as the discerning of the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament. What does that mean? Well, you'll know perhaps some of the ideas that the Roman Catholics say where there's an actual change that takes place. It's known as transubstantiation. So though it looks like wine, though it looks like bread, yet it's just the appearance, the smell, the taste that remains. And really, literally, what you have is a hunk of Christ's literal body that your body is going to chew, swallow, and digest. And you have a cup of the literal blood of Christ which you're going to drink and take into yourself. Well, there's much that we can say to demonstrate that such is false, but it's one such view. Another view is to say, well, that's nonsense. But what is the answer is this, is that in the Lord's Supper you have bread, you have wine, but hidden in it, you have still the literal flesh of Christ and the literal blood of Christ. And then you have others who say, well, there's no real relation, it's just a remembrance, and they pull that from the idea. But when we search the Scriptures, what we come to see is this. Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 10 that the bread which we eat, the cup which we bless, what is it? Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 10. It is the communion of the body of the Lord, the blood of the Lord. It is a sharing in common with that in blood. Well, it's not in the physical and material way, but it is rather through, as Christ is here showing us, through the representation of these things by which faith embraces what the sign is testifying. It's well known unto us. a sacrament, as our catechism says, is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. You see that here. It is by sensible signs, signs that we can touch and see and taste and so on, that Christ and all the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Now, what you'll see here is the way that Christ is represented is by the sign. That the way that Christ is and his benefits sealed unto us is by the embracing of the sign, not just physically but rather with that faith that is caught up in that expression of remembrance. So let us give attention to these signs that minister unto our faith. Next week, as the Lord gives us opportunity, we may come not in some superstitious fashion, not being able to answer, well, I don't know. You know, I just know that something happens. I'm coming, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and something good's going to happen. Never does true blessing come that way. God rather articulates his means, that we with understanding would discern that truth, and then faith would have that on which to hold. So it's other words, faith is not blind. Faith doesn't just say, well, I don't know, I'm just going to grab onto this and pull and hope for the best. Faith is informed. It's informed by God's Word. And if you or I hope to come next week to the Lord's table and derive benefit and blessing from it, it must be, as our faith is rightly holding what Christ sets before us. And so, to that end, that we may come to the much blessing of our souls, consider three things. Firstly, how there is here a sign that represents. Secondly, how there is a sign that proclaims. And thirdly, how there is a sign that blesses. They're not different signs, but this sign both represents and proclaims And blesses, though for our own understanding, we give attention to them in their own distinct way. So, firstly, then, the Lord's Supper is a sign that represents. Now, notice very clearly that there is a distinction being made. Christ's body has not been broken yet, He is whole, He is entire. And though it's right to say he has been a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, yet it is wrong to say that he has undergone the pinnacle of his suffering, which he will undergo on the cross when it is rightly said at that point that his body is broken. His blood has not yet been poured out. His blood will be poured out in due time. Now notice, you have, if you were sitting at the table the person of Christ incarnate before you. And he picks up bread distinct from his literal body, and now he says with his whole body present, this bread is my body. This is my body. No one there would have thought at that moment that has been transformed into his body. Everyone there would understand His body is whole and entire. It's not as if He's doing a miracle by which He's now making more of His body to be this bread. Everyone understands this. It's been the superstitious development of unenlightened men who have made the Lord's Supper the blasphemy of the Mass that is now in places so-called celebrated. There's not a change to the bread, but rather what Christ is saying is this which is separate from me this, this which is distinct from me is now taking unto it a new meaning this is my body now this is all the more clear when you think about his blood this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you ask yourself this question what blood blood has christ shed yet and the answer is he's not shed anything his blood is still circulating through his veins his blood is still whole and entire in his body. His blood has not yet been emptied unto death. We have no p- uh, place for a superstitious veneration of the blood of Christ. All of those false venerate here's a vial of Christ's blood. We don't mean to be irreverent, but we say, who cares? And the reason for that is the soldiers who were bloodied by the blood of Christ as they beat Him, as they took His uh, beaten body to the cross and all of these things, were unchanged by that blood. The physical blood of Christ in our possession is worthless. Not because of any demerit, any deficiency in Christ, but because it's the shedding of His blood on account of His death substitutionary for us that brings us blessing. In other words, if you were to have somehow come to the storehouse of all of the blood of Christ shed, and you with some superstitious movement were to take it and dump it all over your body, you would be nothing but profaning yourself with superstition. Because it's not that which is the focus of his blood. The significance of his blood is that it indicates he has died. That's the significance. His blood is drained from his body so that it's the sign, it's the signification of the fact that he has died. And so you can think of it with reference to the biblical no- notion of capital punishment. The man who sheds man's blood shall have his blood shed. What does that mean? Well, does it just mean if I cut somebody, I have to be ha- having myself cut? No. If you kill somebody, you need to be put to death, because you've committed a capital offense. That's the significance of the idea of blood. So here's asking the question: Has Christ yet died? And the answer is obviously no. So it's not a relationship of material link between the cup of Christ's blood, or the cup of wine, and the blood of Christ. It is the signification representing to us His death. And so there's a distinction. The blood is not literally in the cup. The cup is showing forth, reminding us of, conveying us the love of God in the death of Christ. So whereas there's a distinction, there is a relation. The sign represents. Sense it points to. It's pointing out. It's saying to us, "Look at this." You know, sometimes things are hidden from our attention. Have you ever been on a trip, and you're driving through, and it says something like, "You know, scenic view." It's not on your route, but it says like 22.5 miles scenic view. You can see this or that or the other thing. Well, if you and I are just passing by, we have no clue that down that road is the scenic view, apart from the sign pointing it out. Now, none of us would say at the sign, I've seen the scenic view. We would say, I see the sign that points us to where the scenic view is. That's what the Lord's Supper is doing. It's pointing us to where the blessing is to be found. It's pointing us to where the New Covenant and all of its blessings flow unto us. It's distinct from the reality, but it is related to the reality as a sign is related to what the sign points to. And so, when Christ says, his whole body intact, his blood circulating through his veins, and he says, this is my body broken for you, he's not saying, I'm dying right now. He's not saying at the breaking of this, I'm sacrificing myself in this bread. Nor is He saying when He gives him the cup that my blood has yet been shed. But He is saying that these things are pointing out to you in such intimate approach where your peace, where your blessing, where your life is to be found. The Lord's Supper is a sign that represents that is, presents to our attention the person and work of Christ for us. Secondly, it's a sign that proclaims. When we think of proclaiming, we don't think of something being invented, but rather something that has happened or will happen to be pronounced unto us. And so, notice, this is my body which is given for you. This is My body. This cup is the New Testament in My blood, which is shed for you. It's My body given for you. It's My blood shed for you. What it's holding forth, what it's proclaiming, is the fact that Jesus Christ, here to the disciples then, was and to the disciples ever since, has died. It's a message unto us proclaiming the death of Christ. Now, if you went to church and there was a sermon preached on the crucifixion of Christ, you would go home perhaps and on Monday and you're talking to a fellow Christian of a different church and they say, you know, what did you hear in church yesterday? And you say, oh, the preacher proclaimed the gospel. Now you might say it in different ways. You might say, the sermon was on the gospel. You might say, we heard of Jesus Christ. You might say, Christ and Him crucified was preached unto us. There are a variety of ways of saying it, but none of us would say at that point that Christ died in the preaching of the Gospel because there's a distinction between the proclamation and the fact. And the same is true with the Lord's Supper. There's not a new death recurring again and again and again. There is a death Remembered and proclaimed. And so the sign is proclaiming the death of Christ, just as the Word of God proclaims the death of Christ. Whenever we come to the Gospel and we read the crucifixion, it's not as if we think, oh, I just read you know the Gospel account of John or Mark or Matthew or Luke, and I've just read the cross of Christ, and someone says, what just happened? You don't say historically, right now, in 2022, Jesus Christ was crucified. None of us say that. But we do say, I read a passage that reminds us that Christ was crucified. The same is true of the Lord's Supper. It's proclaiming to us his death. It's proclaiming to us, pronouncing to us, that the promised Savior has come and has died. This is my body given for you. Elsewhere, broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. This cup is the New Testament in My blood, which is shed. We ought to remember. That's what the focus of the Lord's Supper is. The death of Christ. The bloody sacrifice of Christ. Not just beaten beyond recognition, not only do we avoid the idolatry of that blasphemous movie, The Passion of the Christ, but we deplore its fixation upon the visual appearance because it misses the mark. Oh, it's right to understand that the, our Savior was bruised beyond recognition. All of that's accurate. But what needs to be remembered is that what actually happened was that was a means unto his death. His death is what is the focus. This is my body given for you. This is the cup of the New Testament uh, in my blood, which is shed for you. Now notice, the proclaim is more than just Christ died. It's actually, furthermore, the proclaiming of Christ's death for you. So you see it. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And the Greek would sustain the idea of it being of the idea of it's an exchange in your place. It's my body, which ought to have been your body. It's my blood, which ought to have been your blood. You ought to have been put to death. Your blood unto death ought to have been shed but My body instead is given in your place. My blood instead is poured out for you. Bound up in it as well, particularly with the notion of the New Covenant, is that this is done unto you as well. That it conveys to you the blessings of Christ and all of those benefits of the New Covenant. In other words, it's a sign that proclaims Christ's death for you. It's not just the announcement, Christ has died. It's the announcement, Christ is dead for you. Now, we take care not to say that this is the pronouncement of Christ's death indiscriminately for all men. Remember, he's speaking unto his visible church. He's speaking unto his disciples. And he's placing the bread into their hands. He's passing the cup among those who have professed faith in him. And they are taking it. And so it's not as universal pronouncement to all the world indiscriminately that the Lord's Supper holds forth. It's a testimony unto the One who has already come to profess faith and is following Christ. That Christ is theirs and they are His. Christ's death is on their behalf. Christ's death is for them. It's a sign that proclaims it. Now brethren, here's the benefit. It's not only the Word which does the same. It's the intimacy of this bread being placed into your hands and taken by your hand and placed into your mouth. Now you think of this at a molecular level, when we eat food, the food actually, in a way mysterious to us all, becomes part of our body. Now, there's waste, of course, that's passed out and so forth, but there's nutrients and other such things that actually join with our body. And there's such a close intimacy between what is eaten and the eater of it that at some point, at a molecular level, they become indistinguishable because various things from that food now take part in the one who is eating it. The same is true of when we drink. You know, We hear those statistics of where X percentage of water our bodies make up. When we drink water, that water hydrates us. And there's exchanges of various levels of what's in the water unto our bodies. Now, all of that is not needed at the highest level of understanding, but it is to afford us this understanding. That when we take the bread, which is signifying to us Christ's broken body, when we take the cup, which is signifying to us the death of Christ by His blood in the New Testament, which is unto us by the shedding of His blood for us, and we eat it and we drink it, We're actually saying, I take what it signifies unto me. It's not just that I agree that that's true. It's that I'm taking it unto me. I'm taking Christ unto me because I'm looking, as it were, through the sign unto what it's pointing to. And I'm saying, I take the body of Christ. And if someone says, how do you take it? Is it just by the bread? No. It's by the mind discerning the message of the bread being proclaimed. It's by the mind discerning the message of the cup being proclaimed. And so it's as if the hand of the soul is reaching through the bread and the wine unto Christ and drawing Christ unto Himself. And we say, who has the right to do that? Well, we can say this, no one has the right to do that except that Christ gives us that right. This is the great need that we have in understanding that every sacrament is the direct institution of Christ. Oh, the wisdom of God to be so clear in this that it's Christ who took bread and gave thanks. It's Christ who took the cup and gave these words so that we come and we don't say, well, clever men, wise men, ancient men, esteemed men have set this up. But we say, Christ has set this up so that I may come in remembrance of Christ and take the message proclaimed and have it to my soul a blessing indeed. And so it's a sign that proclaims Christ's death for us to be received by us. Notice the language. This do in remembrance of me. It's a command. Do it in remembrance of me. He gives him the cup, and he says it's shed for you. You can see it in Paul's words more fully when he says in 1 Corinthians 11, pulling from other testimonies, Matthew, Mark, and John, or Matthew and Mark, he says, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So it's not just that it's paraded, it's to be eaten. This cup is the New Testament my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. It's astounding, isn't it, that ever there should be the notion that God's visible people should be withheld either of these elements. And yet for years, the cup was withheld from the people of God when it is that Christ has warranted that both are both given and received. Why? Because it's a complete portrayal then. It's a complete message then of Christ for us. The message of Christ for us is proclaimed by this sign. Now, luckily, it is a sign that blesses. Now, we have to be clear in this. We do not mean, because the Bible does not mean, that it's a sign that automatically blesses. So, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11, you see this clearly when Paul testifies that there are those who are observing carelessly, notice verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, they eat and drink unworthily, and in doing so they eat and drink damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's what we're trying to prevent right now. That we would not be guilty of not discerning the Lord's body, but rather see the way that the Lord's Supper holds forth the broken body of Christ for us by faith. So, in other words, if we come to the table ignorant or superstitious, careless or impenitent, we cannot expect a blessing from the Lord's Supper. Now, someone is ready to say, yeah, God can do what He wants to do. We have no hesitation saying that's the case. But how do we know what God wants to do except He tells us? Now, there are times, we understand, when God doesn't tell us. But what God has told us in His Word is He wants us to receive the blessing by receiving the Lord's Supper in accordance to the truth. So in other words, it keeps back any who say, you know what, I don't understand the Lord's Supper. It keeps back anyone who says, well, I'm going to throw caution in the wind. I'm going to come hoping for the best. The Lord's Word is securing from us such wickedness that we would not think the sign automatically blesses. Well, how then does this sign convey blessing? Well, it's as Paul says, it doesn't bless when we don't discern the Lord's body, which necessarily means when we do discern the Lord's body, it brings blessing. And this is what's bound up in the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood, the cup of the New Testament, in my blood which is shed for you. The Lord's Supper brings to us the crucified Savior and all of his benefits presented to our mind's eye to be received by faith. Robert Bruce in his well-esteemed and highly respected sermons on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper speaks about the two mouths present at the Lord's table. There's the physical mouth, by which we're eating bread and drinking wine. But then there's the spiritual mouth, which is drinking in and eating upon Christ crucified for us. Now, lest we misunderstand his point, we remember, as he emphasizes as well, what the Scriptures are emphasizing. There's a distinction between the sign and the thing signified, but the sign is pointing us to the thing signified. So that when it is, our mind and our soul is directed by the sign to be in the past for our sins, and with fresh faith we take hold of Him, we have, as Paul says in First Corinthians and meditating upon such a passage as this. Verse 16, "...the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We, in coming by faith, have all of the blessings of Christ crucified now given to our account. That all that He's accomplished is accounted unto us. All of the blessings are now ours. All of those things which He's done for His people are now in our account. What are those things? We have it, the New Testament, in His blood, the riches of life everlasting, peace of conscience, the presence and inhabiting of the Holy Spirit, joy in the Holy Ghost, the increase of grace, as our catechism says, summarizing the Scriptures, all of these blessings which either accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification, they're all the blessings of the New Covenant, and Christ is saying all of them are spread before you and given to you as you take not the sign only, but as you take what the sign holds forth. As you freshly come and embrace Jesus Christ who was crucified for you. We are not of those who would say it's merely a memorial. It is a memorial. But it's a memorial by which we have present fellowship with the living Savior. And by having fellowship with Him, we have all of His blessings procured for us and given over to us by a shed blood given unto us. They're all ours. Because by faith we take Him who is held forth to us, Brethren, when once we begin to understand this, though many questions doubtlessly begin to arise, we can at least moderate our attention by thinking upon a number of things. Firstly, to consider this. The Lord's Supper, when all the world is taken up, will be seen to have been the greatest feast ever a man or woman has sat at. I want you to think about what that means. Doubtlessly, you've been to wedding receptions. Perhaps you've even been to higher things, great and stately uh, feastings and so on. And you think about that. Re- just recently of Solomon's court, and it speaks of the thousands of animals that were a day's supply for all the thousands that did sit upon him. All these things are overwhelming at times. And then you think of the simplicity of the Lord's Supper. And you say, wait a second, time out. How can that begin to compare with the great feastings of kings and queens and empires and mansions and uh, all sorts of other settings. It's because of the significance of the meal. The significance of the meal is the Savior. And when you and I come with faith to that meal and take hold, we're taking hold of the Savior. And so you can think of it this way. You know, there are men who fawn over athletes, and they would think for a moment, you know, I would just love to have one meal with such and such superstar. Now, in their mind, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't give two hoots, as we say, whether it's in a mansion or in a fast food restaurant. All they care about is being with that person. And maybe they take a selfie with the person and whatever else. And what's given them satisfaction is the attendance of the person they long for. Now this is true as well. You hear of, in perhaps more dignified senses, those who are separated from uh, one another's spouses. Reading the history of the sufferings of the church in Scotland, there was at least the privilege given to those men who were on the Bass Rock or in London's Tower, uh, or various places in Edinburgh. And as they suffered in the dank and cold and Uh, horrible places, they were at least able to write letters to their spouses on occasion, and they would receive letters from their spouses and so on. And sometimes you find most touching illustration of this desire that they would be most pleased to have but one moment with their spouse. Their wives at times saying, oh, what I would give to dine with you in the dungeon. Now what's the point of this? It's to demonstrate that The privilege of the Lord's Supper is seen not in the outward ceremony, but in the real significance of the Savior, because at the table, we sit at the Lord's table with the Lord, so that when we come, we see simple bread, simple wine. Now, men and others have invented all sorts of extra-biblical ceremonies that are meant in some way to add to the beauty, but which to the eye of the believer, takes from the beauty of the Lord's Supper. Because the beauty of the Lord's Supper is in its simplicity, and it's an intense focus upon the Savior. That's where the privilege lies. You and I come with our sorrows. And oh, brethren, who is there among us who is not at times astounded by the ability our heart still has to sin? And we are overwhelmed at times with how easily led astray we are from the course and way of righteousness. And to have Christ open His table and as our souls are burdened with our sins, for Him to come and say, Peace, be still. I am am the one who was dead and now lives forevermore. Take this, eat it, and remember me. Isn't it amazing that every blessing to the Christian is linked to the person of Christ? So you remember, for instance, Christ says to his people, listen, in the world you're going to have great tribulation. Now, when you start to think about that, that can be unnerving. And when you read the history of the sufferings of the church, you start to realize it's far more than, you know what, I might not make you know, $60,000 ever in my life. It's rather that when Christ is saying that, some of you are going to be skinned alive. Some of you are going to see your children brutally beaten, and you're going to be tempted to deny the cause of Christ. Some of you are going to see your husband's brains blown out. Some of you are going to see your wives ravished by wicked men. And you say this is too much. This is, you know, this is over the top. No, it's not. Some of your brothers and sisters have witnessed these things. Some of them have been in dank and dark prisons that have been beaten and abused in ways that you and I cannot think humanly possible. And so, when we hear the words Christ saying, "In this world, you're going to suffer tribulation," we need to think more than what can be amounted to the stubbing of a spiritual toe. We need to realize that there are those who are tormented and they suffer excruciatingly, excruciatingly the pains of these things. And yet, listen to what he says. He says, Be of good cheer. Why? Well, if you listen to some, it's, they're, they're going to say, Well, it's because your bank account is going to explode with finances. Your bill of health is going to be uh, flawless. Your family is going to be nothing but happy. But Christ doesn't say that. He says, Be of good cheer. Why? because I've overcome the world. What's he saying? He's saying, here's where your hope is. Think of what you sing every time you sing the Lord's my shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd without any miss. I shall not want. Where's the comfort of the believer? It's in having the Lord as a shepherd. That is where the solitary consolation is for the soul that inhabits a world broken, ravaged, and in misery by sin. Get this in your minds. It's not in your spouse. It's not in your children. It's not in your grandchildren. It's not in your job. It's not in your finances. It's not in your health. Those are mercies for which we thank God. But none of them is the ground of hope for the believer. And what God often does is He sees us lean too much on those things. And then for a season... He causes those to pierce through our hand. And we see we were leaning falsely upon what, not, what ought never to have been our great consolation. And then we start to become overwhelmed. We start complaining, you know, this person that, my spouse this, child that, the church this, the pastor that, the elders this, the denomination, the world, the politics, the civil government, the hurricane, this, that. And we explore with all sorts of uh, uh, dissatisfaction. Because we have lost our focus upon the Christ who comforts. The Lord's Supper is a bringing our attention back to the solitary source of unending satisfaction and delight. Brethren, is it possible that you and I have drifted in our attention? Young people... You've got your mind set on college, on jobs, on marriage, all of which is lawful and good and needed. But let's not make the mistake. Those things are not where your comfort is to be found. Some of you who are older look upon your grandchildren and children and others, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. That's not where your comfort's to be found. Some of you who are married are looking at your spouse and saying, we need to fix a bunch of things, and you do. But that's not where your comfort is to be found. You look at the church and say, the church needs to get its act together, and it does. But that's not where your comfort is to be found. Your comfort is to be found in no one other than Christ and Him crucified. And it is when we drift from that that we become discontent, we start to become embittered, and we start to fly from the shelter of Christ. What is Christ doing for us at this feast? He's bringing us to the great peace which, understand this, it's simplicity, the great peace which is all. Do you understand that, Christian? It is yours. It is yours now. And so the question is, do you have it now? Are you living by it now? Are you embracing it now? Well, we have to say many times, oh, how often we have to say it. We drift from it this way and that way. But look unto Christ who sits as a servant at the table. What a a tremendous statement. I am he among you as one that serves. He's serving you. The Lord's table is where the Lord is master, the Lord is the, the message, and the Lord is the servant. The Lord does all. And for whom is He doing it? He's doing it for you. He's calling you again to fix your thoughts upon the Savior. And brethren, here is where the great privilege is. That you and I have Christ ordering all things, proclaiming Himself to us, and serving us that we would know the richest blessing ever. So, brethren, as we think about today, the Lord willing, as He gives us life and opportunity, there is need for us to think upon our sins. We do too little of that, doubtlessly. But we need to be sure that with that, we are thinking upon our Savior, who says, this is my body given for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So that we come, yes, mindful of our need, but we also come thankful of our Savior who attends upon us with the riches of His grace and mercy. We come thankfully, gratefully, rejoicing that as we've discovered doubtlessly seeds and realities of sin still in us, we have also come seeing and the disclosure of His love to us. That as we come and we confess our sins, we take His promise by the sign and we eat it unto the intimacy of our soul, communing with Christ. We take the cup and we drink it, communing with Christ and refreshing our souls by the loving Savior who has both instituted this supper, who is the focus of this supper, and who blesses the supper to our soul's strengthening in His salvation. So may God strengthen us by faith as we come next week in accordance to His purpose to seek His blessing. Would you stand with me for prayer?